Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Peyton Manning to my Tom Brady. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Ah, Justin, another season has got underway and it's another season of fans getting incredibly carried away after one result. Well, and the same with us, I think. Um, I, I'm definitely getting carried away with some of the teams that I've played this weekend. Um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get stuck into it uh, as the episode progresses. But yeah, it's been such a good weekend of football. It really has. And not, not quite the, the summer uh, intro into the season that we're used to either. 13 degree weather and it, you know, people mentioning conditions down in Plymouth already. It's incredible in the first week of August. Yeah. Can people do it on a cold, windy <laughs> Tuesday night, night <laughs> in Plymouth in August? That's the question that people will be asking. But you're absolutely right. It has been a cracking weekend, hasn't it? I mean, we've had some shot results already. Mm. I mean, some of the games we've had, particularly on Sunday, as we record, have been fantastic, haven't they? So let's dive into them, Justin. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, it's the first weekend of the championship season. So we're going to go through all the games that have happened over the past weekend. We'll also talk about some of the news from the past few days, including Mr. Brady entering the fold (laughs) at Birmingham City and all the latest transfer news, of course, as well. It's also the return of the polls, which everyone is delighted to see. And we'll play a little game of Simon Grace and Take for Late right at the end as well. So let's start with the favourites for promotion, Leicester City who kicked off the season with a 2-1 win over Coventry in the M69 derby, which is apparently a thing. Um, the headline stolen by one man, Kieran Dewsbury Hall, scored a brilliant brace and he was sensational, wasn't he? He was, he really was. And it's it's why we've picked him out to be a contender for player of the season this season, because he's got all of the quality you need in a central midfielder. Playing in that left number eight role, he can he can really have a lot of freedom. And the goals that were scored by him were, were almost started by him as well. And it just goes to show the, the, the quality of player that he is and, and the reason why Liverpool have been linked with him lately. Because as I say, he was a game changer, especially in that last 20 minutes. Leicester didn't really impress me throughout the game, but... Kenny Dewsbury Hall and Leicester took control in, the, in that final 20 and that's what really won them the game that individual quality to get them over the line and that second goal the header is fantastic you know I like to talk about headers the header is brilliant he's not exactly a big lad either he's, it's a brilliant brilliant header but that second goal in particular the, the placement was just out of this world incredible yeah the second one was a real beauty wasn't it but it wasn't just the goals he was at the heart of Virtually every Leicester attack, one team, getting the ball deep, spraying passes around, carrying it forwards. I lost count of the number of times where there was a Leicester attack against like 3v3 and it was with Dewsbury Hall on the ball. He was just exceptional. And this was the kind of performance which shows why we both picked him to win player of the season. He's a Premier League player in team, stood out so much with his talent. And despite there being a lot of talent in both the Leicester team and Coventry team, he stood out amongst all of them, didn't he? And if Leicester keep hold of him, he's going to be unbelievable. Uh, This game as a whole, I thought it was great. Even when it was nil-nil, there were chances for both teams. I just got the sense that we were watching two very good teams here who both could have won this one. Well, you talk about the chances. I thought Coventry were the better side for 70 minutes. I was a little bit disappointed with Leicester. I thought they were a little bit disorganised at times. Um, The high line was uh, exploited by Coventry, especially in that second half. Um, and Jamie Vardy kept dropping deep into midfield areas. 
what is the point? The man's 36 years old and a, and a very good poacher. Shouldn't be, shouldn't need to be dropping that deep. Um, there needs to be better link-up play in those positions. There's certainly a lot there for Leicester to work on. But that final 20 minutes where the pressure ramped up, the intensity ramped up, the crowd got, got in amongst it as well. I think that's where we saw the best of him. Stephanie Mavadidi as well really impressed me on that left-hand side. And I think those combinations with Dewsbury Hall are going to be really fun to watch over the next next um, next few months or as the season progresses. But yeah, I thought Leicester were, were, were okay, but I expected a little bit more. Well, I wouldn't be too harsh on Leicester, Justin. We've got to remember Burnley last season under Vincent Company. took them a while to get going, true. doesn't it? Yeah, and yeah. it's going to be the same with Maresca as well. I mean, there is one team who we will talk about later who seem to have taken to their new manager's style of play very quickly. But we've got to set the expectations reasonable, at a reasonable standard, mm-hmm. because we can't get too carried away. I will admit, I was a bit concerned with how shaky Leicester looked at set pieces, particularly the oh new God. goalkeeper, Hermanson. Yeah. Over the last couple of seasons, they've had one of the worst records in the Premier League for defending set pieces. Teams will be looking at Leicester and be thinking that's a way we can get at them, particularly with how Hermanson dealt with them. So definitely something they need to improve on. But otherwise, a great win for Leicester, especially coming from behind against a very good Coventry side. And I think this will be one of their trickiest games at home all season. And wouldn't surprise me if the reverse fixture is a bit of a promotion six-pointer later in the season. So it could be a huge result in the grand scheme of things. And as I say, I thought Coventry gave a really good showing of themselves, Justin. Gus Hamer had a game which wasn't far off as good as Dewsbury Hall's. Casey Palmer had a great game. Ellis Sims was brilliant, even though he didn't have his shooting boots on. And Hedgy Wright looked lively when he came on. Uh, did you look at this game, Justin, and think Coventry look a lot better than an Eighth place finish, which is, of course, where you predicted them in your league table. <laughs> You're a scumbag. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they, they really surprised me, actually, because their game plan worked perfectly. Um, as I say, they got into those areas in between the midfield and the defence that Leicester were retreating through fear at times, really, uh, from, from Coventry. And that, that space was exploited time and time again from, from, from them. And, and they were really impressive. Obviously, if you say that, that is probably alluding to maybe getting carried away a little bit. Uh, I do think eighth place, looking at this performance, if the game plans are similar in, in away games of this magnitude, then sure, Coventry can have a lot of success this season. But in, in my, from my point of view, I do think the substitutions really disrupted Coventry because the game changed, I think, at that point. For, for them Hamer coming off I know fitness is a thing and getting new signings in and getting uh, getting minutes into their legs but that's where the game swung in Leicester's favour for me and Coventry and Robbins probably let themselves down a little bit but I'm not going to be too harsh Coventry because the game plan worked to perfection for 70 minutes now as I say if they can repeat that at time and time again throughout the season then sure they will be a success but last 20 minutes is, is what we don't want to see I think tiny bit harsh Justin <laughs> I think I think this game was a good example of why I rate Coventry's chances so highly of them doing something special this season. They've gone away to the team who are favourites to win the league title and put them to the sword. They went toe-to-toe with them. And considering the talent that Leicester have as well, you can make excuses for, you know, they've got to get used to the Mareska system. But the amount of talent there, Coventry matched them, really. And they did it without the two new signings who they've spent a total of £10 million on him, Wright and Van Eric, who came off the bench. So... On another day, they could have very easily won this game. And you look at it now, Coventry squad is coming together yeah. very nicely. If Gus Hamer stays and they sign another centre-back, that starting eleven 
is right up there for me. And the idea of Hadji Wright and Ellis Sims up front together, oh, the potential is enormous, particularly based off what we saw against Leicester with those two getting into really, really exciting positions. Mm-hmm. So I'm only getting more and more excited by Coventry. And I think they're going to make you look very stupid. Um, let's go on. Why are you pulling that face? <laughs> because I've been, I've been pragmatic with my approach to predicting Coventry's outcome this season because of the amount of business I still think needs to be needs to be done. Josh Eccles played at right wing back, for example. They need a little bit more depth in that in that area. I saw my point. They've, got, they've just spent three and a half million pounds on Van Eric. Yeah, I know. I'm aware of that, but he didn't start the game and I thought Eccles was a bit shaky in that first 20, 25 minutes. I just think they need a little bit more depth as squad players. Are you squad players is what I'm saying. Because They've they got can't... Lata Bode. He played right wing back last season. Yeah, not, not very well. Well, it wasn't his, it's not his primary position. He, he's better in other positions, i.e. centre-back. I, I, the, thing getting... is, the thing is, you, your, your big sticking point with them is squad depth. They have got more squad depth now than they did last season. They got to a playoff final. Mm. I, I, better quality of players, but not better squad depth. Uh, you know, they, they had. Of course, they have. No, they, they, well, five loan players went back for starters, and they've lost several squad players. We're getting dogged down on this. I don't think we need to. There's a lot of games to go through, but I was being pragmatic with my approach to predicting Coventry there. Mm. Let's move on to the next game, which was on Sunday afternoon, and it was a 94th minute equaliser by Crescencio Somerville, which saw Leeds draw two all with Cardiff. Heartbreak for Cardiff. They were 2 0 up, defended brilliantly in the second half, and then a shot from distance gets deflected twice, falls straight to Somerville. How's your look? <laughs> yeah, how is your look? I mean, losing a 2 0 lead in your first game when you expected to not lose, but it's going to be a difficult fixture. Yeah, it's it's a it's a sucker punch, isn't it? But it was a really entertaining game again. Really impressed with the quality of football in the opening day this weekend, and particularly this Sunday. But Cardiff again, they surprised me. They they really exploited Leeds' um, plot 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 holes. No weaknesses. I'm just going to go with weaknesses. It's easier because there were quite a few, and and Cardiff were brilliant in, in getting through them. But yeah, that is terrible, terrible look to way the way the ball dropped dropped into Somerville. But that is. That is how it goes sometimes and they'll learn from that because as I say, that really impressed me uh, Cardiff did today. I didn't think Leeds deserved to win anyway because Crescentio Somerville wearing gloves in August is despicable. <laughs> just cold. Um, yeah. Um, well, it, it was just after attack, attack after attack by yeah. Leeds, wasn't it? They did deserve something from the game but they, I think there was plenty to be concerned about. The fact that it took them so long to get the equaliser, the number of good chances they had it shouldn't have taken so long. And it is, of course, remembering that they didn't have a strike on the pitch, but I'm hesitant to say the least that it would have been better if Patrick Bamford or Jorginho Rutter had been on the pitch. Then other end of the pitch, it was very sloppy. The two goals were certainly avoidable. Luke Ayling went walkies on the first one, didn't he? The thing is, we have no idea how that lead squad is going to look in a month's time. Yeah. So many players have been linked with moves away and you can pretty much guarantee at least two will go and that's that's being hopeful. So you've got those guys who need replacing, but then even if the squad stayed as it is, I reckon they need a striker, left back, centre mids. They've got some business to do if promotion is the aim, haven't they? Absolutely, they do. You, you mentioned Luke Ayling there and Sam Byram came on and was a lot more assured at left back. It's a signing that I think is 
going to be quite a, a smart one actually but yeah Luke Ayling for that uh, was it the first goal he went walkabouts on the first goal yeah he did he yeah. went to close in Ramsey and it was absolutely pointless because just the, the space that was vacated behind and then he was completely unaware of um, uh, Ugbo as well I th- it was it was a really frustrating display in that first half defensively especially that second goal where Cardiff just seemed to walk through walk through leads there wasn't a steely um, nature to to what to what I was expecting. I was like, you know, defensively last season they were garbage. This season, based on the small table we have, i.e. the forty five minutes, it was once again garbage. And that's what that's what would concern me. I think going forwards they are they are okay and they did get into some good areas. They needed a little bit more, as you were pointing out. But defensively, not going to be anywhere near the top six if they defend like that. It's as simple as that. That's why we put them eighth. Yeah, well, it's completely fair comments, mate. Just in great result for Cardiff, though, wasn't it? They defended well, scored from their only two shots on target, but ultimately grinded out the results in the end. Well, that's what you need to do, isn't it? You need to you need to take your chances when they come, and that's not what we, it's not. We're not being able to say that about, about Cardiff very often at all. They were really poor going forward to last season, but they showed extra extra potential extra efforts in getting into that final third they were flooding into the box especially on that that first goal there was more bodies in the box probably in that uh, in that spell of attacks than they probably were in the entirety of last season is how poor they were going forwards last season they've got a lot of spark in the final third as well but the key thing was there they just took the chances I don't think Ugbo's uh, opportunity was a particularly easy one either because he's had to stretch quite far to, to get to it he's had to really get on the end of it and he's clouded with the post in doing so um, but they took the chances O'Dowd has crossed for uh, the bowler uh, goal was, was fantastic as well again Ugbo's awareness to lay the ball back into bowler was was really intelligent there was a lot there to uh, to be impressed with from Cardiff and I think if they can repeat that first half performance in games again they'll be nowhere near the, the bottom three not sure about that. I won't go that far, Justin. I think, well, put it this way. If we thought Cardiff fans' expectations were a bit out of hand before, imagine how <laughs> they would have been if they won this game. I mean, look, it was a great result for Cardiff, but it is just the one game and they could have very easily lost if Leeds had their shooting boots on. A great reminder of how little the first game of the season can mean is literally last season for Cardiff. They beat Norwich, who were one of the bookies' favourites for promotion, weren't they? And then... Mm. Cardiff went on to win two in their next 10 games. So one result doesn't necessarily mean much. I do fear that Cardiff's transfer business this summer could end up having an adverse effect on how they do this season. Stay with me on this. Hmm. I say that because the likes of Ramsey, etc. coming in seem to have raised expectations to unreasonably high levels. I've seen... So many discussing the possibility of top six and what have you, and when that's simply not going to happen. And as a result, if Cardiff were 18th or what have you after 15 or 20 games, I can easily see it getting to the point where fans won't be happy and then Errol Bullock gets sacked and then Cardiff are back in the vicious cycle, which caused so many problems for them last season. So, I mean, I, I can already see us getting lots of messages about second tier bias and what have you but every other championship point I've seen has Cardiff in the same position as us just outside the relegation zone so it's not like we're the only ones with doubts over them and fans are pointing out the front four of you know Ramsey, Grant, Robinson, Bowler saying things like this is a top six attack when it's simply not none of those players would get into a top six team and I mean at one point they would, but not now. Grant and Robinson have willingly been let go by a team that's just finished mid-table. 
over the last two seasons. And then Josh Bowler struggled at Blackpool last season. So my point is, unfortunately for Cardiff, there's much more to a team than just four players. And the expectations seem to be out of proportion with where the club actually is. And I could see that being a problem down the line, particularly with fans getting annoyed with how things are going if they're not going as well as many are hoping for them to go. That's the only thing I'd say. But let's move on, Justin, to Southampton, who've kicked off the championship season in style on Friday night by beating Sheffield Wednesday 2-1. Shea Adams with a late winner. That first half from Southampton was outrageous, Justin. They set a new championship record for the most passes in 45 minutes with 477. Oh, it was mouthwatering, wasn't it? It's like um, it's like when you nip for food, isn't it? When you're trying to play online on FIFA, you nip for food and you just tell your mate to just pass it around for a bit. That's what it felt like, just constant passing around. Um I was I was quietly impressed with Southampton. I'm not going to shout it from the rooftops because I think Martin explained that the team is not where he wants it to be and I thought we saw that in the game, but the first half was incredibly dominant. Obviously disappointed with Sheffield Wednesday in that first half, but we'll get onto them. But yeah, I think that the key thing with Southampton is, is turning that possession into um, more emphasis in the final third because I saw a pass map which <laughs> made me laugh. Obviously, the amount of passes that Southampton completed... There was a, the pass map showed a heavy, heavy ink in the middle of the pitch, but not a lot going into the penalty area. So I think the key thing there is to is to turn those passing combinations and and, and long spells of uh, of dominance and, and turning that into sustained dominance in the final third. I think that's a key thing. But um, yeah, it was, it was a good win because Hillsborough is a tough place to go. Wednesday going to make it hard for a lot of teams this 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 season, um, and. A lot of off the ball work as well in that first half, especially the press was good. Um, when Wednesday did improve in the second half, I thought Southampton dropped off a little bit, which shows some signs of weakness. But as I pointed out, Martin explained that the team's not where he wants it to be. So if that's a if that's a you know an indicator of what they are now, imagine what they can be in a month or two. Incredible. Well, I thought it would take a while for the Southampton players to get used to how Russell Martin wants to play. But on the basis of this, <laughs> perhaps we don't have to worry. This is the Russell Martin ball that we've been wanting to see. It was beautiful to watch at times. The high line, the triangles, the inverted wing backs. I mean, Cal Walker-Peters was having a field day in that role. It was rather reminiscent of the first day of last season when we sat down and watched Burnley and everyone was just like, wow. <laughs> and there's certainly parallels there, I think. If there was a criticism you could lay at their door, it was lacking a bit of a cutting edge because for all the dominance there wasn't many clear-cut chances but certainly for a first outing it was extremely impressive also 95% possession after they scored the winner they can't score if they don't have the ball Justin and it was rather enjoyable just watching Southampton play piggy in the middle with 11 Sheffield Wednesday players just chasing their tails around them also outrageous that Nathan Tellergold has been given to Adam Armstrong I know it's touched him but Come on. How is that outrageous? It's facts. It's come off Adam Armstrong. I know it's facts, but it's taken the slightest little deflection off him. And Are you, are you claiming that? If that comes off your arse, is it, are you claiming that as your goal? I would say, Nathan Teller, that's a beautiful goal. I'm not going to claim that. You can have that, son. That you're an um, liar. And I think Adam Armstrong's disgraceful if he does anything different. <laughs> also, also, it's only the fourth time Southampton have won on the opening day since 1989. 
pretty <laughs> impressive record that isn't it impressively bad I mean um, so yeah it was good for them to get to uh, go against the grain on that, on that record in particular um, I'm not too sure what to make of Wednesday's performance Justin the only thing I'm sure of is that it's probably Carlton Palmer's fault <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I don't know how to lead on from that. I, I had quite a good good speech lined up. You've, uh, you've sort of spotted that. Um, I think there are two ways you can look at it from Wednesday's perspective. Is that There was a significant gulf in class and quality, two divisions apart last season, um, or they were ill-prepared for the game. I, I'm leaning, I'm sort of leaning towards, well, not leaning towards anyway, I think both apply. I'm in the middle on that. If you, you think about how much time Isco has had to work out how to play against the Russell Martin side. The blueprint was there last season. And he basically in that first half failed to deploy a side that presses. Instead, they retreated deep and they allowed Southampton or, or gave Southampton just far too much respect. I think Nathan Turner having the amount of time he had to pull his shot off, for example, is, you know, you need to be aggressive. You can't retreat too deep into your penalty box. Um, but they did improve in the second half and I was I was impressed. They had a 20-25 minute spell where they... They pressed, they they were physical and they made it really uncomfortable for Southampton, especially from set pieces. They were they were highly effective. And I just think they're not going to be able to do that every game, but if they can mimic, I'm going to say this about a lot of teams today, but if they can mimic uh, and make that more consistent, um, then they will they will get points. But that first half was was really poor defensively and organized. There was no tactics, it was just it was it was really poor. Yeah, I didn't really know what the game plan was. On the rare occasions they had the ball, it was like they were surprised to have it and just went shit, 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 shit. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. it was, what it was like a hot potato. Whenever they had the ball, just instantly, oh, we've got the ball, boom. Um, but they defended well, in fairness to them. Southampton only had a couple of great chances. But then after conceding the first goal, I didn't really get what they were trying to do. Yeah. They were putting themselves under more pressure by letting Southampton pass it around them in the in the middle of the park, from a pressing perspective, as you were saying, it was just non-existent, and it was almost like they were content with being a goal down. But look, we we shouldn't be too harsh because Southampton were excellent, and that will almost certainly be one of Wednesday's trickiest games of the season. However, we have raised concerns about Iska Munoz's tactical capabilities, and I didn't see any evidence here that we might be wrong on that front. Trying to make one more point. Russell Martin at the end of the game did the three fist pump thing. Can we eradicate that from football, please? Because I'm seeing too many managers do it. Can can we do something else? Can there be a bow? You know, Sky Sports is marketing football as the greatest show on earth. Therefore, you should should you be bowing instead of doing the free fist pump thing? When or you maybe say bowing. What do you mean? I can't really. It's hard to do it while I'm sat down. Um, but just what, just a, a literal bow, bow yeah, like just the a, end of it. The end of a stage show. Yeah, at the end of a stage show, just bow and then okay. get back and go again. Or boil some piss, just do the um do the soccer and wrestlers thing. Just go around with Matt 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 Jill Matt Gill, whatever his name is, going, easy, easy. Instead of just doing the three manager fist pump, it's doing me I didn't. I would love to see them doing this, the uh, wrestler easy thing. That would be fantastic. To be fair, you've sold me now. I wasn't, I wasn't with you before, but now that you've said that, you've got me on board. Um, let's go to one more game before we have a break, Justin. And oh dear, QPR were thumped four nil away at Watford. Oh dear, oh dear, Justin. I, I know we've given Gareth Ainsworth a lot of stick over the past few weeks, but. 
I was heading into the season thinking, go on, let's give him a chance because you never know. It might have been like Paul Ince last season where we yeah. gave him loads of stick heading into the season, but they actually started the season quite well, reading the eyes. This was fairly disastrous though. It was abysmal. It was absolutely abysmal. It's got to the point where Ainsworth is talking about safety already. 45 games left. Come on, that's not the attitude you should be putting out there. How can you inspire your players and your supporters? It's utter delusion. He's talking like it's February again, and they're up against it, and they are up against it, but you've got 45 games left. You're an experienced manager. This is not the perception you should be putting out. It feels defeatist. It feels like you are admitting defeat and you're just rolling up in a ball and allowing yourself to get kicked about because again that's what this game felt like and if they carry on like that they're going to get pumped 4-0 quite a lot at home and away going into the game I know they're missing defenders but as a unit they were they were poor they were poor midfield forwards did not match the intensity of Watford at all it didn't feel like a group of players that were buying into a system or a manager I think it's quite interesting as well that Wickham were 1-0 down within the first minute alongside Gareth Ainsworth's new side. It's a weird coincidence how that happened. They played more long balls than Watford. They kept losing it time and time again. What have you been doing all pre-season? I was expecting this wonderful sequence of passes that we saw in that 20-second clip against AFC Wimbledon. Nothing. It was dreadful. I got nothing to nothing else to say other than Ainsworth is, is walking a, the tightest of ropes, uh, or thinnest of ropes, I should say. He's, yeah, not good. Not good at all. Yeah, it must have been a long bloody summer because I completely forgot how exasperating it is listening to Gareth Ainsworth after games. He just comes yeah. out with some utter drivel, doesn't he? I mean, yeah. he said, we don't know if we've just played the league winners. What is he talking about? <laughs> it's, 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 it's just bonkers, isn't it? And then, as you were saying, he's already talking about them staying up. And I know virtually everyone's predicting them to go down, but you don't want to hear it from your manager after one game, and this was embarrassing, conceding one minute in, Watford had 24 shots to QPR's four. They've given a Valerie and Ishmael team 71% possession. Valerie and Ishmael does not care about possession, but they had it in abundance here. And I was saying a couple of weeks ago about how difficult QPR's first 10 games are. Hmm. This is one of their easier ones. Only one of their opening five games is at home. And then the first 10 games, they only face one team, Justin, who we predicted to finish in the bottom half. They could be 10 points from safety by October. It's honestly quite frightening. And in fact, there's a very good chance they could be in the bottom three literally all season because they're bottom of the table now. If Considering how difficult those first few games are, then can we really see them climbing up that high considering how bad things look right now unless there's a huge turn then things are only going to get even worse in fact it is like that Mick McCarthy meme isn't it can it get any worse it can um, and look I'm not saying they should sack him right now because they won't and it would just be ridiculous to sack him after one game right but the QPR hierarchy must be looking at it and thinking who do we get in next because they must already have plans in place because they they must know he's under pressure it'd be foolish of them not to have some plans in place because it's it's just not working i mean one game into the season conceding a lot of goals under him as well uh, it would be it'd be remiss of us not to mention the hierarchy at qpr it's a rudderless club at the moment it doesn't seem like anyone's taking charge of it gareth ainsworth is getting a lot of flack rightly so the team's poor managed poorly um 
but the, the the ownership does does need to take a lot of a lot of flack for it as well because the decisions they've made over the last eighteen months have been uh, interesting. So it's not all on Gareth Ainsworth, but at the end of the day, when you're getting pumped by a lot of goals in quite a few of your games in charge of a club. You you not got a lot of uh, a long time left. Uh, they had one shot on target. It, it was just nothing, nothing of note to take from a QPR perspective, which is such a shame because this time last year the club had so much potential. We were excited about them, and that's it. That's all. That's that's gone. Yeah, well, you're not wrong. And I get what you said about the hierarchy at QPR. They have made a lot of bad decisions in the past twelve months. Having said that. I think Ainsworth has to take the majority of the blame here because this squad could be doing better, but mm. they're just playing like shit, aren't they? Um, fair play to Watford. The Wolves were given a nice juicy steak and they absolutely <laughs> tore it to shreds. Imran Lauza was utter class. That pass for the first goal was ludicrous. I mean, his goal wasn't bad either, but that pass was just oh, superb. Valerie Ishmael said after the game, the starting 11 were all here last season. It shows what can be achieved with a change of mindset, which I am interpreting as a direct dig at Chris Wilder. Of course you would, you're Mr. Controversial. You want to you wanna look for smoke where there's no fire, but... Is, is that might... not a dig, Justin? <laughs> it might be, but they had a lot of managers last season. Could it, it could have been a dig at Slavon Bilic. It could have been a dig at Rob Edwards. Take your pick. Um, but what, what, what you can say about this team is they weren't as direct as, as many might. Many may have thought. And that's why I'm convinced Val is the man for Watford this season. That's why I'm convinced he'll last the, last the entire campaign. That's me getting carried away. That is after one performance. And as you quite rightly say, QPR lathered themselves up. They seized themselves and they allowed uh, they allowed the uh, the wolves here to just absolutely rip them apart. Um, but they were very slick going forward. So there was plenty of movements. There was some really good combinations off the ball. Jeremy and Gakia really impressed me. He was an exceptional right wing back. Took a lot of um, took up a lot of positions in central midfield. An inverted role, as you like. Won seven of his individual duels and created five chances at the same um, during the during the game as well. And he was a he was a player that really impressed me. So you know more of that, more of the same. And and you can expect a, you can expect me to get very carried away with with Valerie Ishmael. What for this season? Yeah, no surprise to hear Justin getting carried away after <laughs> one game. But yep, fair play to Watford. They looked impressive. Job was made a lot easier by QPR being made of butter. But I'm not sure I'd go as far as saying what Ainsworth was saying about potential league winners. But, you know, who knows? It is the championship, I suppose. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about a cracking game between Sunderland and Ipswich and also a return to the championship for Plymouth Argyle. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Ipswich mark their return to the Second Tier with a 2-1 victory away at Sunderland. I thought Sunderland were much the better team in the first 30 minutes, but didn't take advantage of it. Ipswich then got on top. Under a bit of pressure in the pa- in the final 
I was going to say final 10 minutes, but considering injury time was 13 minutes, such as the state of modern injury time now, maybe that's a bit of a mute point. But you see my, you see what I'm saying, Justin. I thought Leif Davis was excellent at left back. Nathan Broadhead was really good on left wing. I wasn't too convinced by George Hurst as a forward, but I thought he actually played really well here. And, you know, I would still suggest they need a new striker, but he did do very well in fairness to him. They defended well too. So... You know, keep in mind the context here that this is a newly promoted side winning against a side which got to the playoffs last season, away from home as well. Really impressive result. It is an impressive result. It, it played like prime Real Madrid. They were fantastic. Um, I, I do think that there were a lot of things that they do need to work on. Um, but I, I think when you when you put it into the perspective of they've they're coming up against a team who finished. Uh, fifth last season or sixth last season in the championship and got to play off semi-final and are incredibly gifted going forwards then yeah it's, 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 it's an impressive performance I thought Ipswich were really good on the on the break that when they when they broke through that Sunderland press they, they broke through really really quickly and for 80, 85, 90 minutes they were very resolute defensively I know Sunderland did a really good job of opening them up at times but other than that first 25, 30 minutes Ipswich started to take control in the manner where didn't create too many chances, but didn't allow Sunderland to to really get into their flow. So yeah, it was it was a good uh, a good away performance from Ipswich, and again a reason why we rate McKenna so highly because he he, he can organise his teams. The big question is, Justin, are you jumping aboard the Ipswich are going up tractor? It's the question <laughs> that everyone is asking. It's the new thing, the new vehicle on the block. Are you getting on board? I'm not going to get on board yet. I had them down as third or fourth in my individual prediction. Um, which is I, why, which is why I find it a bit confusing that you're so outraged at the idea of them finishing top two because that's only a, a place or two above where you had them. It's a quote. <laughs> no, I. But it's a, it's a big difference, though, isn't it? It's a big difference finishing the automatics because you're expecting a team to get 90, 85, 90 points, win 23 games. It's a, it's, a, it's a big ask for a side who are still still quite early on in a, in a transitional phase, if you like. You know, we've only taken over two years ago. McKenna's been in charge for not even two years yet. So, so it's a big ask, and especially with the lack of, I think, championship quality standard forwards in the team, it might fall short. But they took the chances in this game, and that's what you've got to do away from home. And as I say, they opened up some quite often on that break. So... If they can repeat those away performances and pick up a fair few points away from Portland Road, then maybe. But I'm not. Um, I'm not jumping on the tractor just yet. What will it take to convert you? Uh, I don't know. Ask me in November. It's a lot. What will it take to season. convert you before the end of the month? Think about the transfer business wise. If they can bring in an additional striker, maybe move. I don't know. Maybe Freddie de la Dapa one, bringing in another striker. I do like George Hurst. I think he's taken a lot of flack. I don't know why. He's a, he's a a play of a point to prove and he proved very useful last season in League One um, but if they can bring in another central midfielder maybe um, I don't I'm not sure I like Sam Morsey but again you've you got last whole season in that position um, and then maybe another forward then, then perhaps perhaps I'll be convinced but whether or not that's quality enough for, for a top two push I don't know I just don't know mm. I'm going to convert you at some point luckily for you tractors are slow moving so yeah. you will have a chance to get on 
But because you have been so disparaging, I'm not sure if I will let you on. Uh, I particularly want Ipswich to do well, not just because we've tipped them to do well, but because Darren Huckabee has taken a dislike to us for some reason. And apparently it's really winding him up that we think Ipswich will do well. So I'm even more on board of the uh, Ipswich going up tractor at this point. Uh, I will say uh, the goalkeeper, Hladki, uh, is it? Hladki. Hladki. Yeah, yeah I wasn't hard. too convinced by him. Uh, Walton, Christian Walton's out injured now for a while. So that's maybe somewhere I'd look to strengthen. Striker, as I say, I think centre-half possibly as well could do with it coming in. But, I mean, Adam Armstrong has been linked with the striker role. But that would be interesting. Um, so we'll see. I think there's definitely going to be some incomings at Ipswich before the window closes. Also, well done to the referee for for playing the advantage for Ipswich's second goal. We give referees plenty of slack, Justin, so um, may as well give them some praise when they do something right. I thought Sunderland actually played OK. The main thing I would say is they desperately need a striker themselves. Young Luis Semedo was thrown in up top and struggled and... It's not too much of a surprise, really. He's only previously played for Benfica's B-side and with Ross Stewart not going to be fully fit for at least three months. They need someone else, otherwise that's going to be a real problem for them, isn't it? Yeah, you are right. There were some neat combinations in that final third, but it does lack someone with a... You need a, a bit more of a presence, don't you, in that, in, the, in that position. I thought if you compare him to George Hurst, who threw himself about quite a bit, Semedo lacked that physicality. Again, it's not a surprise. He's, he's a he's a young player in a new country without a lot of first team experience, so he's going to go through the motions. But they really could do with maybe a lone player, someone of Ellis Sims's experience coming in uh, would be would be a, would be a, a good signing. But you're right; they, they impressed me. I, I really enjoyed how Sunderland got the ball into good areas, and they've got some really good technical players. Patrick Roberts is a honey trap for it um, for the well defenders in in the league. He's, he's so so lovely to watch. Another player I really do enjoy watching is Pierre Equo at the moment. I say at the moment he's only running one game in, but he glides when he's on the ball, and he had that chance, didn't he, for, where he had a shot and Joe Bellingham put it over the bar. But he seems a player like West Ham will pay fifteen twenty million twenty million pounds for in a year's time, I reckon, which just makes it silly that they they allowed him to leave because he looks a talent. I'm not going to disagree with you on that one, Justin. Let's go to Plymouth, who marked their return to the Championship with a 3-1 win over Huddersfield. Great win for Argyle and a great game in general, actually. Huddersfield had their fair share of good chances and probably should have done better. But Plymouth had that extra bit of quality that really shone through, particularly in the form of Bally Mumba, who scored a brilliant goal. And he is some player, Justin, isn't he? He is, he is. It just makes it more the more ludicrous that Norwich allowed him to go for £1 million because he's so exciting. He's, 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 he's a wing-back, isn't he? But he played in a much more advanced role here and he caused Huddersfield so many problems. He's incredible with the ball at his feet and I think he got six goals or seven assists last season. Um, a lot of goal a lot of goal involvements and goal contributions. He's, he's an incredibly gifted player with so much potential and playing in a system that allows your attacking players to to really blossom, I think he's going to get even more out of him, especially at championship level. And and as we saw with the goal that he scored, he just passed through Huddersfield so easily. You can argue that Huddersfield maybe should have done a little bit better defensively with that. But nonetheless, it was still a good finish at the end of a, a marauding run, which is a very difficult thing to do because quite normally you're out of breath and a bit tired, but it wasn't. It was composed. It was precise. It was brilliant. Good thing he was not out of breath. But I mean, Norwich sold this lad for £1 million. Daylight robbery. Why isn't someone going to do something about this? Norwich have been utterly robbed. 
but he was just a constant thorn in Huddersfield's side or game. Played his part in the first goal as well. 21 years old. <laughs> he's going to be a lot of fun to watch this season, isn't he? Particularly if he's playing further forward like he was here. As you say, usually a wing-back in a Plymouth shirt. But if he's given licence to Rome, then he's going to be causing a lot of problems for defenders. I said it in the league table predictions, but Plymouth will not go down this season. I can just guarantee it now. I think the vast majority of championship pundits like us have tipped them to stay up anyway. However, the bookies don't seem to be as sure, but I am. That front three of Mumba, Hardy and Whitaker will cause a lot of problems this season. Defensively, they were a bit shaky against Huddersfield, but they weren't playing a back three, which is what they did throughout last season. So when Julio Pleguazuelo comes into the team, they should be more solid. Also, home park, going to be a massive factor. Only dropped three points. Mm-hmm. Uh, only dropped points there three times last season, I should say. And you saw the atmosphere and the wind. That's going to be a tough hunting ground for teams. So I don't think they'll be in danger of going down this season. I reckon they're looking more towards mid-table, as was reflected in our predictions. Anything on Huddersfield, Justin? I don't think it was the worst performance. I don't think the scoreline reflected it. Huddersfield did create some good chances and got into some good oppor- good areas. Uh, I think Josh Cromer was guilty. Danny Ward too of, of missing some really uh, well guilt edge guilt edge chances. Really, um, I think defensively the Mumba goal sort of summed it up. Someone's got to take one for the team there. Just just take him out. A bit of a shit house move, but you've you've got to you've got to do that. And there's a couple of square pegs and round holes with positions or in, in various various areas of the pitch. Um, but you you look at the, the lack of movement in the transfer market from Huddersfield. I think that's got to improve. So, yeah, not not the worst performance. Bit of defeat, losing three one. But um, there were some some good signs there. Middlesbrough got the season off to a losing start at home to Millwall. Remain Essa scoring the only goal of the game. What a finish as well that was. He's one to keep an eye on this season. Inti, eighteen years old, to have the composure to do that fairly late in the game. Very impressive, but he made a few appearances off the bench last season, all very late on, so he never really had the chance to make much of an impact. However, he has impressed in pre-season and fair to say Millwall are looking a bit light in the final third. So if he has a breakout season, it will be huge for them. The Southwark Saka is what he's being called, which I like. It's better than some other nicknames that are being banded about. So I'm excited to see more of him and Ademo Imarco as well, who set him up for that matter. So look at this, two exciting youngsters coming through at Millwall. It, well, as I say, it doesn't happen very often, but they do have a you know, good track record of, of, of bringing through bringing through players at Millwall. You look at Danny McNamara and Billy Mitchell have, have really thrived over the last couple of years and Romain Essa looks to be another one. I listened to a Millwall fan ooze over him on, on 6.06 after the games on Saturday for a good three or four minutes, which sort of gave me a bit more insight into it because obviously when you've got young players coming through, it's quite hard um, when you're not in, you know, a club's environment to, to really to really understand them, but the, the Millwall fan was was oozing over him, and it made me very excited to see what he can what he can do over the next um, well over the season and seeing seeing how he progresses. Because uh, well, I think he said every time Essa gets the ball, the fans you know, not believe, but they, they get up, they get excited, uh, and when you've got a player like that in your team, which Millwall don't have an, you know, a habit of producing, yeah, it um, it makes for a, a lot of excitement. Yeah, really does. An excellent win for Millwall to kick off the season against a much-fancied Borough side. And it's fair to say Borough was certainly lacking firepower here, weren't they? True Brackpom was only fit enough for the bench. It meant Matt Crooks was playing behind Morgan Rogers. Justin, you were back in Middlesbrough for the top two in our league table predictions, but 
you've got to admit they need to sign players before the window closes if they even want to make the top six, don't they? They look three or four players short, if I'm being honest with you. It sounds quite harsh, but they need another forward, another striker, that is. They need a, a left back. You know, Hayden Coulson did okay, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't what is needed. You look at Ryan Giles' contribution last season. Need a, they need a, a wing back who's got that ability to, to whip a ball in. Very hard to come by. Um, but you know, Kieran Scott's got to got to do it. I think that the thing that worries me is we saw it last season and the summer before, last summer and the summer before. Key targets being missed. Worried that it's happening again with Middlesbrough. They they do need to uh, they do need to get uh, get busy. I think that's a key thing. You have got two periods with the with the transfer window, don't you? You have got the before the season starts where you get him uh, get players in um, and essentially get your squad together, and then once the games start that's when you that's when you start to really identify exactly what you need and what you're missing and Middlesbrough for me are missing quite a bit if they stuck with their current squad do you reckon they get the top six I think it's a it's touch and go I think it's one of those where it goes out to like last three games because um, I do think there's quality I really do I believe there's a lot of quality and defensively I think they can be a decent outfit but they, they miss a goal scorer and Akpom being in there is going to help. But again, can he replicate some of that season last season? Maybe. He's never done it before. Um, so maybe the question marks are, question marks over that. So yeah, three or four players short for me. Top six is touch and go with the current squad. Interesting. Let's go to Stoke, who have had a strong start after beating Rotherham 4 while new signing Andre Vidigal. Got a double, Keon Hoiver, Jacob Brown getting on the score sheet too. Stoke were very impressive here. Surprised me. Surprised me because they played with an intensity. There was a clear game plan. There was a clear plan of, uh, when it came to their press and their shape and going forwards. They were they were very purposeful in what they were doing. It was really impressive. Uh, the reason why I'm surprised is because the ability to do that with the amount of players that they brought in, 11 players have come through the door. So the ability to get that uh, get that style of play implemented and done it, uh, and get it done quickly is, is a very difficult thing to do. So credit to Alex Neal, deserves, as I say, a lot of credit for doing that. They, they, they peppered Rotherham. Okay, we can get carried away, but there was a, a lot of positives there and a lot of, a lot of good, uh, a lot of good performance, good performances. Josh Lawrence really impressed me. Uh, Hoiver impressed me. That yeah, a lot of a lot of big positives come out of that. And yeah, just just make me want to get carried away with Stoke. But I've been in this position before where I've been stung, bitterly, bitterly stung, and I'm not I'm not going to allow that to happen again. I'm exactly the same, Justin. It was an impressive performance, but I refuse to get excited about Stoke until May at the earliest. They've beaten a team at home who most people would have predicted to go down. So I don't think anyone should be getting carried away anyway. But Stoke are a side who I will take a lot more convincing with than other sides in the division. On the other hand, Rotherham desperately need to sign players, don't they? I was on Sky Sports the other day. Let me just pick up that plug. They asked me which club needs to sign players and I instantly thought Rotherham. Mm-hmm. It's the worst squad in the league, isn't it? Simple as that. They've lucky they've got a manager in. Matt Taylor, otherwise, I'd give them no chance of staying up. Having said that, if they don't sign at least five or six players before the window go uh, before the window closes, I have very little hope of them staying up. No club needs to sign players more than them. I've got no doubt about that. I completely agree. You look at the the service that went into the in, in this game into Jordan Hugo, who's a striker who thrives off service. Only six crosses went into the box. Onion Dimba had a, uh, only had twenty two touches and completely just one dribble. 
not all down to him, but it just highlights the the well, how poor they were going forwards and, and defensively they were picked apart by Stoke as well. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Got a lot of energy in that midfield, but I wasn't particularly pleased with or well, impressed with Cafu, I should say. He's not played a lot of football over the last twelve months. So for to expect him to come in and, and, and be the the player he needs to be in that midfield not not overly convinced. You are, you are right, they need to strengthen significantly and a lot of Rotherham fans will think we're being biased against them, but the lack of quality is there to be seen. They were picked apart by Stokeside, who have invested a lot in their squad this summer and there was a clear difference in quality. They'll face more difficult games yeah. than Stoke away, I imagine, this season as well. So, yeah, tricky times for Rotherham. A 95th minute winner from Adam Eder. Saw Norwich beat Hull 2-1. Bit of controversy here because the winning goal shouldn't have stood. The ball's clearly gone out for a goal kick in the build-up, but nothing was given. Liam Mazzini was sent off because he was so outraged, although I think he was a bit more upset about how late it was when it went in as opposed to the goal kick. Despite that, Norwich deserved the win here. The first half... They were excellent. A bit more of an even second half, but they were the better team over 90 minutes without a doubt. First win at Carroll Road since February, no <laughs> less. Well, that is a that is some record, isn't it? What a goal by Jonathan Rowe as well. First start in a Norwich shirt. Home-growing lad as well. He was exceptional. Not the first young lad who's uh, impressed us on the opening day this weekend, is it? Um, not a great day at the office for Hall, but one bright spark was undoubtedly Liam Delap scored one, nearly got another, but was denied by a great save by Angus Gunn. We said if he gets a couple of goals at the beginning of the season, could be a completely different player. So certainly want to keep an eye on there. A quick fire double in the first half was enough for Blackburn to see off West Brom. 2-1, it finished a Bit of controversy here as well. West Brom should have had two penalties at least. The one in Jed Wallace in particular was a stonewaller as far as I'm concerned. Um, West Brom should have had two penalties, as I say. Nicely taken goal by Matt Phillips. Harry Leonard had a great game in his first start of his career. Could have had a hat-trick, but he's getting in those positions, which is impressive. So another youngster who's impressed mm. us on the opening day uh, anything on this game quickly Justin I was going to say Harry Leonard sounds like a Simpsons character um, that's all I can really add you've, you've pretty much covered everything there great analysis by us on the second tier <laughs> as usual a late equaliser from Mulkeen saw Preston draw one all away at Bristol City more controversy it certainly looked as if there was handball in the uh, build up to that equaliser but a draw probably was a fair result only other thing I have to say on this is the camera angle at Ashton Gate is somehow even higher. <laughs> it just did. It's ridiculous. It's essentially on the moon. They this must is... film the games using a telescope. It's so far away. Things aren't going to change. It's They've got it's, to. It's not going to change. Unless we... I can't tell who's who. Unless we start a petition. Um, I don't think things will change. I don't think things will change if we start a petition anyway. No one cares. Just move it lower, please. And finally, Swansea won, Birmingham won. Birmingham had the better chances in this one. Uh, bizarrely, the two best ones fell to even Sunyit, which is kind of like it falling to Lord Luke and did not expect him to be there. <laughs> DJ, play that news jingle. Yes, it's time for the news. An American football legend, Tom Brady, has become a minority owner of Birmingham City. He's entered a partnership with the club's new owners and says Birmingham City is an iconic club with so much history and passion and to be part of the Blues is a real honour for me. Is his judgement in picking football clubs to invest in as accurate as his passing, Justin? 
Well, yeah, Birmingham City are on the up. Uh, I know we once described Birmingham as an unattractive club to buy. It was right at the time because the club was riddled with debt and the stands were rubble. Um, but they they are heading in the right direction under the, the new ownership and Tom Brady coming in. Not really sure how involved he is will be. I know that it's been spoken about how he will be involved, but I'm not actually sure if Tom Brady's going to be in the building doing that or just doing Zoom webinars. I think that's probably more likely. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an exciting period for Birmingham City and it's an exciting appointment. It gets fans behind the team, behind the club again. It it, it rekindles a connection that was lost under BSHL, which is the key thing here. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a PR thing, isn't it? Let's yeah. be honest. It is a it is a common thing now for celebrities to be offered shares at clubs at a discount price or even for free in some cases. We don't know for sure if that's the case here, but it's definitely a PR move in some way, shape or form. And I find it hard to believe that Tom Brady or his people have meticulously studied each English club, looked at Birmingham and thought, oh, they've just signed Tyler Roberts. Let's invest in them. So it's a nice little PR thing, isn't it? it I think it means next to nothing in reality, to be quite honest. Let's go through the latest transfer news. These are just the confirmed deals since Monday and commentary have splashed out £7.7 million on American striker Hadji Wright from Antalya Sport in Turkey. I assume they signed him as an homage to Mustafa Hadji with the you know name sharing, whatever. Um, looks a really exciting striker. Quick, strong, 29 goals in 60 games in the Turkish Super League. Looks very much like a replacement for Victor Jokeres. Leicester have spent a reported £6 million on Montpellier forward Ste- Steffi Mavadidi. Looked lively against Coventry, didn't he? Can't mm-hmm. say I was too convinced about this when it was announced because his numbers in France aren't outstanding by any means, but we'll see. Cardiff have signed Josh Bowler on loan from Forest. I've already given my thoughts on this one. Justin, what do you think? I think it's a tidy signing. You are right in what you were saying that this time last year it would have been a really exciting signing, but because he had a poor year, it's not quite... It's just whelming, isn't it? It's not quite amazing, but he had a really good debut against Leeds. Get the ball into him in the final third. He will set teams alight. It's just the rest of his game that needs refining. But Cardiff, it seems like a good good match because a lot of players there need to prove themselves. So, yeah, I think it's a decent signing. West Brom have brought in former Sunderland striker Josh Madger. He scored 16 goals last season for Bordeaux in the French second tier, which I thought was relatively, relatively impressive. And then I saw his shot conversion rate is around one in nine. So he was having a lot of shots, considering West Brom's big issue has been putting away chances. Not convinced he's the answer, I've got to say. Goalkeeper Matthias Sarkic has gone to Millwall on a permanent deal from Wolves. Stoke have signed Burnley defender Luke McNally on loan. He was a regular at Coventry last season. Great signing that, isn't it, Justin? Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's it just Stoke just reeling me in. They've 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 got me on hook at the moment, and they're just pulling in. But I'm just trying to be really reserved on them and not give too much away because, as I say, we've mentioned it already. It's quite easy to get stung by them, but it's a really good signing. Uh, or one that will go one that will go under the radar uh, as being one of the better ones in the window this summer. Yeah, I think Coventry wanted to get him back yeah. as well, which would have been an impressive move for them. Hull have got Aaron Connolly back on a permanent deal. Hopefully we'll find out the answer this season to the lifelong question of whether Aaron Connolly is actually any good. Jack Colback has gone to QPR. 
Yeah. Swansea have completed the triple signing this week. It includes Brighton goalkeeper Carl Rushworth on loan, who had a great season with Lincoln last season. Newcastle right back Harrison Ashby on loan, and Ukrainian striker Mikola Kuharevich on a permanent deal from French side Troy. Big fan, by the way, of Swansea putting out a video on how to pronounce his name. Football clubs, please do this more. Makes podcasting a lot easier. Preston have brought in defender Jack Watmore on a free from Wigan. Managed to get out of his contract there because of missed wage payments. Good signing for Preston, that though. Plymouth have re-signed Villa midfielder Finn Azaz on loan. He was excellent last season, so that's a good move for him. Now, Sheffield Wednesday have had a busy few days. They've signed four players. They are former Preston defender Bambo Diaby, former Man U defender Dishon Bernard, former Monaco winger Anthony Masaba. They've all joined on permanence. And they've also brought in AC Milan goalkeeper Devis Vasquez on loan. When asked about him, Isco Munoz described him, and I love this, Justin, as a very good keeper. Thank you for that stunning insight, Isco. Rotherham have signed former Villa winger Andre Green on a free. He was most recently playing in Slovakia. Leeds have signed Sam Byram. What? Why? They've also loaned out defender Max Wober to Borussia Mönchengladbach. Watford have signed midfielder Georgi Chakvetadze. On loan from Ghent in Belgium. Played against QPR. Adam Laventhal of The Athletic was saying he reminds him of Alba Mabdi. So keep an eye on that one. Meanwhile, right back, João Ferreira has taken the well-trodden path of going to Udinese on loan. Sunderland have signed Manchester United goalkeeper Nathan Bishop. on a permanent deal. Southampton have let two defenders go to France. Mohamed Salasu has been sold while... Georgie Kaletakar has been loaned out. They've gone to Monaco and Lyon, respectively. And Blackburn have sold young defender Ashley Phillips to Spurs and goalkeeper Thomas Kaminsky to Luton. And breathe. In other news. Sorry? And breathe. And breathe. Good point. Um... In other news, the EFL say it will be making added time more accurate next season. Match officials will add the exact time lost when certain game events happen. It comes after there was longer games in the World Cup. The ball was in play for an average of 52 minutes in the Championship last season. And I think everyone is happy with this news, aren't they, Justin? It is. Uh, 13 goals scored in extra time in the EFL this weekend. So it's being utilised very well. Uh, I'm a bit sceptical, I think mainly because you can still break up a game by stopping momentum by bringing a physio on, for example, when a time gets added on. But momentum is the key thing here with, with clubs and you can you can kill that very quickly. Seen it, seen a few yellow cards for some really daft things this weekend. Can it be over-refereed? Maybe. What's the point in dishing out a yellow card for not kicking a ball away, but changing the direction of a ball ever so slightly and adding time on anyway? Uh, I'm not too not too sure. And it just depends how consistent and uh, yeah how how fluid referees are with it because it can it can get to a point where it gets a bit silly. I just don't want it to be one of those things that they start off doing at the start of the season and then, and then as the season goes on it just drops off because it annoys me when that has happened and it happened has happened quite a few times. Referees want to get home as well. We, yeah, referees want to get home as well. That's all I'm going to say. Conspiracy theories yeah. have started already. <laughs> Apparently, it is going to be a rarity now for games to be shorter than 100 minutes. So, yeah. something to keep an eye on. Um, let's do some polls, Justin. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter. So, we want to get their thoughts on all things to do with the championship. So, the first question we asked was this. Which of these teams is the most likely to win the league this season? Leeds, Leicester, Middlesbrough, Southampton. Uh, Leicester, Leicester. Yeah, I'll go Leicester. I was going to say, you're not changing your mind already. No. Come on, Justin. Uh, 50% of people said Leicester, 37% said Southampton, 10% said Leeds, only 3% said Middlesbrough. Which of these teams is the most likely to go down this season? Huddersfield, QPR, Rotherham, Wednesday. QPR. 
Yeah, I thought you were going to say Wednesday because you put them bottom of your league table. Yeah. Apologies for Wednesday because because <laughs> QPR are terrible <laughs> one game one game it's all it's took ladies and gentlemen QPR got 72% yeah. of the votes Rotherham got 16% Wednesday 7% Huddersfield 5% and finally who was the best Batman Adam West Christian Bell Michael Keaton Robert Pattinson uh, that's actually really hard Michael Keaton was a great Batman but he couldn't move his neck and that made it look a bit weird in, uh, in some action scenes so I'll edge towards uh, Christian Bale yeah, I'll go for Bale as well. 68% of people said Bale. 13% said Adam West. 10% said Robert Pattinson. He was very good in the yeah, last Batman, to be fair. Uh, 90% said Michael Keaton. 9% said Michael Keaton, oh. sorry. And now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So I'm going to ask Justin to name eight of a certain subject. All he's got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs and he would say Villa, that's one down, and then Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin would then say Weymouth, he'd be out. So all he needs to do is give me all eight answers. No extra lives for you this week, Justin. Simon Grayson says he'll be disappointed if you don't get this. So much so that I'm also giving you a 10 second time limit between answers. (laughs) Otherwise, you could take the piss with this. It's a simple one, but it's also very easy to fuck up. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah, go on then. Come on, get started. 10 seconds, let's go. Can you name for me the eight teams in the Premier League and EFL this new season who begin with the letter W? This is a test of the RQ. Uh, West Brom. Correct. In the Premier League, you said as well. Premier League and EFL. Premier League and EFL. Wickham. Correct. That's two down. West Ham. Also correct. Three down, five to go. Wolves. Yeah. Flying through it. Halfway through. Yep, now I'm stuck. Mm. Now the brain's struggling. Mm. (laughs) Um, Five ah. seconds. I can't think of any more teams. <laughs> Honestly, championship expert, and he's missed out a championship side as well. I have. Your 10 seconds is up, by the way. You've completely is... messed that up, Justin. That is that is shameful on your behalf. If you didn't tell me at the 10 second timer, I'd have been a lot more composed. Uh, that's that's mind game trick there from, I'll let from you Simon off. Grayson. Do you, want, do you want to enter back in? Uh, Go on. I, fine. But I can't think of any teams. <laughs> Flipping heck. <laughs> pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. The teams you were looking for were Watford. Oh, yeah. Watford. Yeah. They were good. Wigan. Yeah. Damn. They beat Warsaw. Darley. Yeah. And Wrexham. Nah, not Wrexham. Shameful showing from you. It's the first one of the season. It's either going to be a bumpy ride or it's going to be fine. Simon Grayson was harsh for the time, 10 second time cap. Um, that's just how he literally is just had to name football teams. I didn't it's, because it's simple that, as that. No, I couldn't just name football teams, could I? Because they had to be beginning with the letter W. Yeah, and you still failed, even though one of the teams is literally in the league that you cover. Congratulations! It's, it wasn't a championship quiz either; it was an EFL Premier League quiz. So my championship expert status is still intact. Thank you. Jump in a dumpster. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. This has been our roundup of the first weekend of the championship season. What a weekend to kick things off. 
And ladies and gentlemen, the roller coaster is underway. We look forward to going through all the twists and turns of the championship season. Uh, so, yeah, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday for a preview episode of next weekend. So we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.